Greetings, God's beloved. Thanks for tuning in to Messages of Hope, the sermon podcast from Living Hope Lutheran Church in Las Vegas. It's Transfiguration Sunday, and our reading comes from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. Our preacher is Pastor Matthew Metavellis. Thanks for listening. God bless you. So one night a couple months ago, I uh, forget where we were, but uh, Marissa and I came home with the kids, and uh, I was uh, watching Jeopardy. Uh, Marissa and I were both on the couches together. The kids were running around, and then all of a sudden, you know that feeling when the power goes out, right? All the lights go out, all the lights in the street, and it was only about 7 o'clock at night, but oh my gosh, how dark it was. So I went fumbling around, and all I could find was this little flashlight, and it wasn't really giving that much light, and luckily the power came back on in about 10 minutes. But uh, I was at Home Depot just a couple days later, and I went, I'm going to get, and I was going to bring it today, and of course I forgot it, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay some money, and I'm going to get a nice big flashlight so that if this happens again, I've got a reliable way so that I can see. And now maybe I just watch too much news. Maybe I worry too much about uh, an earthquake. Uh, maybe I am a survivor of the 2003 blackout on the East Coast. Anybody, um, anybody in that part of the world for that? Just me. Yeah, I was, uh, I was working uh, uh, on the phone um, at a, a telemarketing place. If I called you, sorry. And then the, uh, the power went out. Uh, all the dialers and stuff went down. We went home. Um, my dad, God bless him, had stage four cancer but was still working, so I went to go pick up my dad. All the traffic lights between my office and my dad's office were out. None of the radio stations uh, had, it took them a while to get their generators up. Um, and it was just, it was crazy. It was crazy in New York. It was crazy in Cleveland. There were, there were people stuck in their garages. The garage door couldn't open in all the office buildings in downtown Cleveland. So um, I experienced not as bad as New York uh, circa 77 when the power went out, but uh, to experience a massive ongoing power outage, and you couldn't even go out to eat in the days later because the restaurants had no way to like keep their dishes sanitary and everything. So. Um, I survived it, not the worst disaster in the history of the world, but I've always been kind of scared of, uh, of blackouts. Cleveland deserve it anyway, right? Do we deserve no power? If you're from Pittsburgh, I might have to... Yeah, yeah, All right. So, in situations like that, you need something to help you see. And I think when we talk about light in church... We get so caught up in what light is and not, and we don't talk enough about what it does. And, and, and uh, especially if you've ever been around the Orthodox Church, they're very great at having these services of, of, of candlelight. And um, we love to talk about all holy light. If you take the hymnal um, in the back, if you grab the hymnal and you look for how many hymns mention light, it's kind of crazy. Um, but I'm more concerned today, um, and by the way, light is just a mystery, right? In the 20th century, Schrodinger and Heisenberg were trying to figure out whether light um, is a wave or a particle because it behaves like both. Uh, that's where the uncertainty principle actually comes from, right? Light is so hard to pin down. So what we're going to talk about today is what light does. Light is that ability that helps us see 
right? Have you ever used this phrase? In light of, right? In light of, um, in light of recent developments, uh, we've decided that we're going to go to online worship, right? In light of these things that have happened, we're going to go through another course of action. And this is what Jesus promises to us today when he says, I am the light of the world. Not that Jesus is this glowing orb that uh, fills the world with light, but it is through the light of Jesus that we are able to see. Now, uh, it, Pastor Jason mentioned that there's a story in the Synoptic Gospels, which is not in John, and the Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other the other four, if you've ever looked at a New Testament, uh, there's a story called the Transfiguration, uh, where Jesus takes the uh, Peter, James, and John up to a up to a high mountain, and then like uh, he turns into a glowworm, and and they, uh, and uh, it, it's it's this uh, it's it's a really amazing and, and often a, a confusing story, uh, but John actually talks about another place where light is mentioned in scripture. And light is mentioned in the life of the people of Israel. Now, there's a Jewish festival called the Festival of Booths, or Sukkot. And the Festival of Sukkot is, um, is commemorating the time that the Israelites spent in the wilderness. Now, what they would do when they had the temple is each afternoon as the sun was setting in the court of women they would take these four giant torches and they would light each of them to symbolize the Shekinah the glory of the Lord coming into the tabernacle and uh, filling the people with light and all the Levites would grab any instrument close at hand and people would just gather in this courtyard and they would dance. Imagine the closest the ancient world ever got to EDC. Right? Lots of music, people just kind of grooving. And in the middle of this, right, you have to picture what's 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 going on, right? In the middle of this. Jesus comes into the temple while people are partying and dancing, and he's shouting at the top of his lungs, I'm the light of the world. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, come to me. I am the light of the world. And he's shouting this over and over again. And now today, if somebody was doing that at EDC, you might say, wow, I want the drugs that that guy is on. But back then... They weren't really sure what was going on. The temple authorities say, oh, you might need to arrest that guy. He's a little bit uh, crazy. I don't know if he's trying to start a revolution or something. But even the police go up to the temple authorities and say, I don't know if we can arrest him. He's saying stuff that like nobody has ever said before. People are kind of uh, really into it. It's, it's, uh, it. So it does the same thing as the transfiguration. But I think if you know how to hear it and you know how to tell it, I think it's also a really great story about Jesus being filled with light and Jesus saying, I am the light that comes into the world. I am the light that will help you see. And that is where our story comes from today. Jesus' promise that through him we would be able to see. This man born blind found it out in a 
truly remarkable way. But there were some problems that happened because of it. It is through these problems we learn about a condition that I would diagnose as spiritual blindness. Now, spiritual blindness is not the same as physical blindness, right? Physical blindness is all the rods and cones and whatever parts of your eyeball they're working. You can see they're connecting with synapses in your brain. If any of that is interrupted, which, by the way, I just marvel at uh, God's creation that we are able to see. Physical sight is such an amazing gift in and of itself. But spiritual blindness is a little bit different. Whenever I think of spiritual blindness, I think of a great line from Sherlock Holmes. When um, those of you who know Sherlock Holmes, what's the name of his uh, sidekick, the narrator of all the stories? Watson, Dr. Watson, right? And Dr. Watson always is like, man, right? How did you see that, Sherlock? Right? And Holmes explains it to him by saying, the problem with you, Watson, is that you see, but you don't observe. Right? It's, a, it's that extra step. Right? It's that extra step to see something and then put it together and connect it with other things. Right? Spiritual blindness is the condition of just seeing things. And rather than having your mind, your heart, and your spirit open by seeing these things, is you move quickly just to put them in the categories that you already know so that you can just move on. So as an example, I'll give you two groups of people. The disciples. What's their spiritual blindness in this story? Well, yeah, that's always the spiritual blindness of the disciples, right? They want to know who gets to sit next to Jesus. Who is assistant regional manager? Right? It's always their struggle. But here in this story, if you heard, they see this man who's born blind, and their question to their rabbi is, who sinned? <laughs> right? And, and if you think... We go, oh my gosh, the ancient world, everybody thought that you know it was just some God punishing them. Um, I'm a hospice chaplain, so I spend a lot of time with cancer patients. I, uh, I did uh, a funeral yesterday for a woman in her 50s who died of uh, complications of lung cancer. And I was telling my neighbor about it as I was getting ready to go. And he goes, what, what question do you think he asked me? Did she smoke? <laughs> right? Which is the modern way of saying... Did she sin? Right? He's a smoker too, so, right? So, I uh, bought many cigarettes from him. So, uh, so, but, right, do you see how this still happens in our world today, right? Somebody has cancer. Oh, they must have smoked, right? Uh, somebody, uh, and this has really tragic consequences, right? You hear that somebody you know, uh, maybe years ago, maybe, um, thank God, uh, our understanding of mental health has drastically improved in my lifetime, right? You hear that you're somebody that you know had a child who committed suicide or died of a drug overdose? What are you thinking? Oh, who sinned? Yeah, right? Was it the parents? Were they just not enough good parents? Not enough hugs? 
not enough uh, attention? Should they have just taken the phone away? Right? We still think in this way. It is spiritual blindness. Because we are telling ourselves that if there, something bad happens out in the world, there has to be a good reason for it. And I have, I have a dear patient right now, and her husband is just so tortured that she was such a good person, and she's the one who's suffering and not him. And I said, I, I can't find any solution to this other than for God to afflict you as well. And he's like, I think that's the only thing that would help me. <laughs> so he worked back from there. right? And I'm not saying you're a bad person if you have spiritual blindness, but that's what spiritual blindness kind of looks for. right? It imagines that God is, is unable to act if people don't do certain things. And this brings you into the second spiritual blindness that we hear in this story coming from a group of people that John will call the Pharisees, which if you ever come to Bible study, you will hear a five-minute cautionary lecture every time this word comes up because these people were not universally bad people, and I happen to think that Jesus himself was a Pharisee, but you can talk to me about that after or come to Bible study. But the Pharisees in this story are spiritually blind Because here's where they're thinking. Well, it's the Sabbath. It's against the law to do something on the Sabbath. So if somebody bad, and and right, their their thought process, this sounds like, you know, uh, in Monty Python when they're doing the witch trial, right? This is their exact thinking. Like, well, if he's a witch, then he shouldn't be able to do these things from God. Therefore, he must be bad. So burn him, right? This is... This is their thinking, but their thinking is that, okay, somebody did this and they committed a sin. No good thing can possibly come out of a sin. Um, God can't act whenever somebody who is a, quote, sinner, right? They're not talking about sin anymore. They're talking about somebody who is a sinner, right? They're using this as a category to define somebody. And then they're saying, well, we're disciples of Moses, right? We're the good people, right? This is... Cable news. This is the highest spiritual blindness, right? It sees the world in terms of light and darkness, the good people, the bad people. I am on the side of the good people. I must prove this by being brutal to the bad people, and I must organize the world according to this category. And the man who has been given his sight is standing there saying, look, I couldn't see. Now I can see. That's all I know. And by the way, had these guys actually been good rabbis? Had these guys actually read their scripture? Had, they got, had these guys actually been reading other rabbis who, uh, whose works would be collected? Uh, they'd say, yeah, if, uh, if what Jesus said, if your sheep falls into a hole on the Sabbath, you can pull it out. You can heal. You can give life on the Sabbath because God is a God of life, right? These, uh, uh, this is the biggest danger when we read these gospel stories is that we think these characters are speaking for Judaism, and they're not. What John is showing us is people who suffer from a particular form of spiritual blindness that can only see the world in terms of their categories, and this is where the spiritual blindness comes in, and then thinks that God can only act according to these categories. 
spiritual blindness is when you see what is happening, but you fail to see what God is doing. God is not held back by our categories. God will do good things for people that are like you and that you like, and God will also do good things for people that are unlike you and ones that you do not like. God doesn't play the game by our rules, right? Remember that kid when you were playing like Floor's Lava or something, and like they, he'd walk through, and you'd be like, oh man, you can't do there, the Floor's Lava, and he'd be like, oh, sorry guys, I'm not playing. That's God. <laughs> like, God, no, you can't. God's like, no, not playing your game. And this is Jesus in this story. But to lift our spiritual blindness today, let's pay attention and let's rejoice in what Jesus does. Jesus takes some dirt from the ground, breathes into it and spits, and then takes it. Don't you guys who work in healthcare, aren't you glad that you visualize this one? Spits in this mud, smears it in the man's eyes, and then says, now go wash it off in the pool of Siloam, which, by the way, means the one who is sent. And if you pay attention and you read John and you count, one, two, three, four, five, six. This is the sixth sign that Jesus performs, which, if you read Genesis, how many, how many, how many total days of creation? Six, right? And then there's a seventh. By the way, Jesus' name in this story mentioned seven times. And this is the sixth miracle. And it's kind of like when God created human beings, took the dirt and breathed into it. And when Jesus did this, uh, the great uh, church father Irenaeus, who, by the way, is about two teachers removed from John. We just celebrated Polycarp Saint Day. Um, I'm giving you a bunch of facts today. I don't know if it's because I'm tired or what. But uh, John taught Polycarp, who taught Irenaeus. And so Irenaeus said, the work of God that Jesus mentions here is creating human beings, right? The Pharisees think that God is sitting back and going, okay, we're the good people, we're the bad people, because I want to bless the good people and I want to curse the bad people, right? They think he's sitting around like that far side cartoon God on his computer. That's not who God is, right? God is an artist who cannot leave his work alone or her work alone. God is a writer who cannot stop editing. And that's what's going on here. The work of God is creating human beings. And this, by the way, is what the Sabbath is for. We stop on the Sabbath so that we see where our working and our creating stops. And we see where God's creating begins. And this is what we are called into every Sabbath, that God is still creating. God is still working. Irenaeus has a great little sermon on this 
that talks about God giving us vision so that we might not go look for another hand. This is what the gift of sight is. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what he is giving you light to see are his muddy hands just reaching out and touching all those places in the world where he is needed. Whether it is women and women taking their children in Ukraine to the Polish border, while the men stay behind to defend their homes, whether it is our neighbors who are in need of better housing, whether it's our neighbors who are in need of sight and community, whether it is in our own lives, those muddy hands are always reaching to take our heads when they're pointing down and lift them up saying, look, up here, the light is here. By the way, those muddy hands will be caking dirt over the grave of Vladimir Putin when that man will just be another footnote in history, forgotten like Pharaoh, who never had a name in the first place. But a brighter way to look at it is those muddy hands are going to be there embracing us in our own time and leading us into new life. So when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, what he's telling you to do is look for those muddy hands. Amen. Amen.